Good afternoon and welcome back to Midterm Elections Part 2, a series sponsored by Seifarth Shaw's Government Relations and Policy Group to talk about how the elections will impact the world of labor and employment. So today is December 14th, and we finally know who will be going up to Capitol Hill for this next coming term. And here to talk to me about this topic today are my two colleagues, Scott Hecker. He uh, works uh, as an attorney in the Washington, D.C. office. And yet another Scott, Scott Mallory, all the way on the other side of the country in Sacramento, who will be joining us as well. And all three of us are members of CIFARTH's Government Relations and Policy Group. And so we are in what they call the lame duck session of Congress. As lame duck sessions go, this has been a pretty uh, lively one uh, with a fair amount of potential consequence happening. Not just in the labor and employment world, Leon, right? That's everywhere. It's everywhere. I mean, obviously, we're, we're, you know, the January 6th committee is going to issue its report. And uh, that's obviously going to be just from a purely political perspective, that's likely to be consequential. But also, yeah, uh, indeed, generally in a lot in a lot of ways. And so, Scott Hecker, I think there's a little bit of appointment activity in the lame. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think everyone's aware uh, the Democrats are aware that they have a a long list and don't necessarily want to renominate a ton of people. So I think there's been activity in the courts. Also, one sort of for our, our L&E folks in particular to note is that Jessica Lumen, the nominee for Wage and Hour Administrator, has been voted out of committee and we expect she'll be confirmed. Folks may remember that uh, she was the second nominee for this position. President Biden initially tagged Dr. David Weil to return as the once and future administrator. He was the, uh, the administrator under President Obama. That did not work out based on defections by a few folks, Senators Manchin, Cinema, and Kelly. So the two Arizona folks. But yeah, I mean, I think those kinds of nominations, there will be some activity there, again, to try and push some of those across the finish line. But, you know, given the Senate makeup next term, you know, there is still that uh, advice and consent piece that the Democrats have the majority on. And so maybe not as concerned, but still don't want to probably go through the whole process again, because it's just more time and you kind of have to reline up from what I understand, Leon. So wage wage an hour, not a small part of the Biden-Walsh administration's agenda. What does it mean? I mean, this is, uh, you know, having been sort of in, in Washington for a number of years, wage an hour administrator is one of those perpetually vacant slots (laughs) <laughs> uh, what does it mean to have an actual, you know, Senate confirmed appointed director in that position? What does that mean for the administration's agenda? One, it means they get a really nice office with a view of the Capitol in the Francis Perkins building. It's just a, like a very good corner spot. And I don't know whether Jessica Lumen's been sitting in that office while she was, I think, principal deputy uh, or acting administrator, but it's it's a very nice view. Beyond that, I think you know, the ability to set policy is always sort of heightened by an actual politically confirmed leader. You have a little bit more of that heft behind you, the capital behind you that you may need to set your policies. And while she's been in that position, you know, acting or, or deputy administrator for a long time, almost throughout the administration, it's something that, as you know, Leon, there have been a series of acting folks. I think our last, you know, Cheryl Stanton was confirmed under the Trump administration, and she was able to put out a number of policies and, and sort of turn the, the aircraft carrier once she got there. Under the Trump administration, there actually was no OSHA assistant secretary. Lawrence Sweat was the principal deputy and remained that, I think, throughout the four years. And 
you know, I, I think she, you know, she did what she could, but it's hard again, without that sort of political sort of um, the blessing of, of the Senate behind you, people may be a little bit confused about the role and you may not be able to sort of take the, the grand steps that, that you may want to take on the policy front without that specific confirmation. She, Jessica Lumen, actually spoke to the Society for Human Resources Association actually right before I did. So I got the pleasure to watch her presentation and it was just abundantly clear her institutional knowledge of the wage and hour division and what their priorities are. So I would expect everyone's going to kind of fall in line over there behind her and things are going to start happening quickly. I'm also really interested in, you know, we have now that the Democrats have a 5149. The EOC has been weirdly quiet, right? So I would expect a lot more of the nominations to get pushed through now that there's a majority and for the EEOC to start getting much more involved than it has been during the first two years in the Biden administration. Yeah, no, I mean, I think writ large, writ, writ large, I think nominations, you know, the fact that you now have a majority that doesn't require the vice president to travel up to Capitol Hill for, you know, everything. I think for nominations, that's going to be a big shot of wind at their sales for nominations, whether it's for judges, EEOC, just about all kinds of things. My, you know, I would agree, Scott. I think that's going to have a lot of consequence. Anyone in particular that we're watching out there that we might, you know, think we might be confirmed in the coming months as a result of this solidified majority in the Senate. David resting with Kapaga uh, Cobtel, and I apologize if I announced that incorrectly, for quite some time now. And I think that now that they have that majority, they'll have a much easier time pushing her through. Right. So, so yeah, that's uh, one way in which it'll make a difference. One thing also, I want to just go back to the, to the lame duck for a yeah. second, and that is the immigration bill uh, that was, uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about her a bit more, was, uh, it was uh, advanced by both Senators Cinema and Senator Tillis. And, you know, Senator Cinema is a little bit of a newcomer in terms of being, a, you know, being a marquee name in the immigration world. But it represents a sincere attempt to actually pass comprehensive reform uh, legislation. They only have a few weeks left to get it done, but contains features like a path to citizenship for DREAMers, visa recapture, enhanced border security. And so it covers a lot of the key bases for both parties. So certainly an issue to be watching in the lame duck. So let's talk now uh, a bit more about, you know, we finally know who's going to Capitol Hill. And we even, for some of them, know actually what their jobs are going to be when they get there. So, you know, what does it mean, guys, to have, on the one hand, Warnock, you know, now, you know, reelected as senator from Georgia, defeating Herschel Walker. And then just, you know, days after that happens, uh, Kirsten Sinema says, I'm not a Democrat anymore. I'm going to be an independent now. Scott Mallory, what, is, what does it mean? Does it matter? Should we care? Well, I, I, I would like to speak to the, the first point first, and that's Senator Warnock. And I, I just want to know, like, Georgia voters, I think, are much smarter than we give them credit for. And I think if you look at the Brian Kemp, Raphael Warnock sort of distinction, clearly there were voters who were like, I'm going to vote for Brian Kemp because I agree with his policies. I'm going to vote with Raphael Warnock because I agree with his policies more than I do with Herschel Walker. And that sort of delineation and distinction, I think, is important and should remind candidates that they should run on platforms, not parties. <laughs> right. I think that that's an important point that was made to that election. 
And then second, the Christian cinema thing, I mean, it's funny, I was laughing when we were talking about uh, Dr. Whale and his nomination getting sunk, and you're like, it was the people from Arizona. I was like, oh, Christian cinema, who we're going to be speaking about later. Section, it, it could mean something. Obviously, a 50 to the Senate is, is far from ideal. The, the vice president has to travel everywhere. But everything that I've read and everything that I've seen is basically showing that the Christian cinema sort of a, i.e. defection, really isn't going to have too much of an effect on the parliamentary structure of the Senate. And she still plans to caucus with the Democrats and provide Democratic votes on committees. So it shouldn't change all that much, except for really the name, right? Except for it appears maybe to voters that the Democratic caucus isn't as unified as they thought it was. Uh, who knows? But I think at the end of the day, it's really not going to affect all that much. I'm not sure she caucused that much with the Democrats to begin with, Scott. And, you know, we alluded to the fact that she torpedoed or was involved in, in assisting with uh, sort of putting the blockade on uh, Dr. Weil's nomination before. So yeah. the split has been there. And I think most people know that she was a bit of more of a wild card, a centrist, whatever you want to label it, um, along with. Yeah, uh, when we were talking Senator before Manchin. this, Scott, you were like, cinema's going to cinema. And, you know, and, and, you know, Scott, Scott Hecker, is this, uh, you know, does this just reflect the state she's from? You know, that's always a big move when either an independent goes to one party or the other or vice versa, that there is right. some political reason for doing that. Yeah, I was calling it Liebermaning earlier, uh, <laughs> reflecting back to Joe Lieberman in like 2004, I think, uh, in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. But he, you know, he flipped to independent from the Democratic Party and she's she's sort of following in that path. And yeah, I mean, I think Arizona is, I guess, purple. I don't know if there's another like even more chartreuse, some other like more different color we could label it. But, you know, it's uh, there are a lot. It's a very strong independent streak in that state. And I think she probably sees an easier path in a general as an independent than she does to go through a Democratic primary. You know, there's is it Rep. uh, Rep Gallego maybe has gotten some um, publicity as a as a potential I think Senate Democratic Senate challenger for that seat. And, you know, if she's going to have difficulties getting out of the primary within the Democratic Party and she still wants to be involved in on the national stage in the, the, you know, the Senate, she's looking for a politically expedient path to do that based on the makeup of the electorate in, in her home state. You know, the, the one thing I learned this morning about Senator Sinema, who I've actually met before, and, and it's, that sort of at odds with her tanking David Wilde's nomination, is the AFL-CIO gives her a uh, 100% rating for her votes in the, I think, in, in 2021, and a sort of lifetime rating of 87%. So, you know, hard to say not somebody who's sort of, you know, quote, pro-worker. So, so at least something to watch. You know, I don't know if there are specific subject areas uh, that that you know maybe matter to her versus others, uh, but she is somebody to watch as as potentially uh, having having an impact in the labor and employment space. Scott Mallory, also the Democratic leader. Well, actually, both leaderships are still sort of in play in the House. Uh, so I yeah. think I, I think I maybe was overstating it a bit when I said everybody knew what they were going to be doing in January because I think there's a couple big. Uh, Big decisions, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that the, the biggest one that we've seen, at least to date, is uh, Nancy Pelosi agreeing to step down. During the last podcast that we had on this very topic, I, I specifically spoke to, there's going to be a small majority in the House. 
uh, it's going to be hard for the Republican leader to keep everybody in line the same way Nancy Pelosi did. And don't count on Nancy Pelosi's, you know, insane legislative acumen. But, of course, then she sat down, I think, like the next day. But Hakeem Jeffries, he's been her, I think, lieutenant for quite some time. And I just have to say that during the impeachment trial, when he invoked Biggie Smalls by saying, if you don't know, now you know, I was quite impressed because Biggie Smalls was a childhood uh, (laughs) favorite of mine. Uh, But um, Uh I'm glad that Nancy Pelosi is sticking around because I think it's going to be it is such a weird sort of back and forth in the House of Representatives politically and legislatively that he's going to need that like constant left hand and Nancy Pelosi to help him. I think it's going to be okay on that side. And you might even see them be able to get some legislation through. Um, We've seen a good amount of bipartisan legislation happen. The majority for the Republicans is pretty slim. So, you know, when it comes to like EVAs and arbitration agreements, things like that, that affect workers, we might actually see some legislation happen regardless of this weird dichotomy that we have. Interesting. In other words, you you really you don't you don't have to pull that, you know, from looking at it from a a Democrat's perspective, you don't really have to pull over that many people to actually turn this into a a majority, even in the House or voting majority anyway, in the House on a particular issue. And we've seen Nancy Pelosi be able to do that over the last couple of years. And so, Scott, I'll ask you both. Does that mean we're predicting that there won't be gridlock on Capitol Hill or that, that just maybe there might be occasionally there might be a little uh, breakthrough in that, that uh, we're not foreseeing right now? Yeah. And we just saw one this week and last week with regard to defending marriage, interracial and same sex marriage. Those were bipartisan. Yep. And, you know, I think people were surprised, but, you know, it's it's a recognition of the importance of those issues and, and also potentially of the, you know, the impact that the current lineup in the Supreme Court has on congressional action as well. Congress doesn't want to completely lose its authority and its power. It's still got to pass some stuff if it wants to get things done. Yeah. Right, right. All right. So, uh, Scott and Scott, this is actually one of the, my favorite parts of my day job is is joining you guys on, uh, on, on the podcast. But alas, I think our time is coming to an end. I know both as uh, Congress's agenda becomes clearer and the executive branch's agenda and the way in which it will use its executive authorities also becomes clearer. We'll be back to talk to our listeners about what's coming and and what's next. Until then, happy holidays to everyone and, and a great afternoon. Thank you all.